0: Jason's alive. He killed my friend, now he's coming for me. He's got a death curse. Jason's a legend.
1: I'm Mrs. Warrior. an
0: old friend of the Christie's. Jason belongs in hell. You're dreaming if you stay here. Never come back
1: again. You see, Jason was my son, and today
0: is his birthday. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Return to Camp Blood. I'm your host, Nathan Barker. And for tonight's episode, I'd like to welcome a good friend of mine and also a good friend of the show. The man whose vision was to bring us, Friday the 13th fans, a memoriam to the late, great Sir Richard Brooker. So I'd like to welcome the executive producer of the Friday the 13th Part 3 memoriam documentary, Mr. Sean Richards. It's great to have you on, my friend, and thanks for taking the time to talk about your project especially since part three is one of my favorites.
1: Thanks, Nate. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about the documentary. And uh, yeah, Friday three its classic. You know, it's got a lot of fun, a lot of camp in there. So thanks for having me on.
0: Absolutely. I'm glad we could finally work out a time to have you on since, you know, uh, some of your crew was on an episode last year to discuss the project, but They couldn't really release very much information at that time, which is totally understandable. But now I figured it would be a great time to have you on to come on and discuss all the details that couldn't be talked about before, since this was your vision that was brought to fans. Now, as of this recording, the doc has been out for about nine weeks on YouTube on the Friday the 13th Network YouTube channel and currently has over 31,000 views. Looks like it's almost ready to hit 32,000 as of today. And as challenging as it can be, I, I can only imagine to oversee a project like this, which we can get into some of those details a little bit later. But now that it's been out for a little while, I mean, what's it been like just to kick back and take it all in, and just to see the reactions from all the fans out there?
1: Uh, you know, Nate, it's it's been really rewarding. I've uh, seen the the reactions from fans and the comments, and um, I'm really pleased. I'm really happy that. Uh, a lot of the fans really enjoy it, and so that's that's what we made it for. We made it in service to the fans to share the story of Richard Brooker, um, to share the backstory of Part 3 and some um, photography and video. Unfortunately, the cabin's gone, and so is Richard. So that was, that was the whole point of it, uh, to share those things for the fans who can no longer visit the set the way it was or meet with Richard.
0: Your Facebook page—you've done a really good job updating information, pictures, and teaser posters, and everything. I'm sure some of the listeners have been following the Facebook page, and you still continue to post some updates and everything, which is definitely great to see. And I liked i really liked some of the uh, the later poster designs, which uh, Vincent Desanti, I understand, had a hand in from Never Hike Alone and some of the poster design. And just—I I just thought they were really awesome. They were really classic throwback, and they really captured that that Friday the 13th Part 3 vibe. I think Vince really did a good job with those.
1: Absolutely, uh, yeah. Uh, Vince created the, when we were releasing the documentary, that release poster with the cabin, and, and then it looked like it was on fire, because it's actually, that's my photo of the cabin, and then working the, the magic of uh, Photoshop. To, to make it look a little bit on, you know, with the flames and the windows and smoke. And then to the right there is uh, Richard's Jason from part three. So yeah, it was really sweet. I really liked what he did there.
0: Yeah. Not to take away from any of the other posters and everything, they were all great, but I just really liked those last, that last handful of ones right kind of towards that countdown. I thought he just really did a great job on that. But you mentioned that this was basically for the fans and, I know I really appreciated it and I know a lot of other people have. I've seen a lot of great things about the documentary being said and everybody's just really had some some great things to say about it. It's had a really good reception with the community, which I totally expected that it would. But being that it was for the fans and you being a big fan yourself, now I know you had the chance to spend some time with Richard, but what brought you to the point of saying, hey, I'm going to make a documentary?
1: Well, that uh, was an idea that popped into my head the day I heard he passed, April 8th of 2013. A friend had shared the news, and um, I just had this instant idea of wanting to share my set video and photography with the fans and dedicating to Richard. And if that would have gone that way, it probably would have been a two or three-minute video with high-eight camera footage and some still shots, and at the end it would have said, for Richard Brooker. But... It became more and more as time. I wanted more and more for it as time went along, so I kept uh, knocking on doors and um, just working and working and working to to get people to come on board, tell them about the project, and uh, just bringing people on to to share about the backstory of Part Three and the journey of Richard Brooker.
0: So, the way I guess I understand it, and from what I've heard you mention before, you basically were just going to make a very short video clip if you want to call it that, uh, a mini, I, I don't know what the correct term would be, but you were basically just going to take everything that you had and turn it into a little something. And then that just, it just went from there. So it, it started with that. And then it just, it just climbed from there. Is that, is that correct? You were originally just going to do like a little, sh- a little short video.
1: Yeah, it probably would have been a couple minutes at best. Uh, but some music over the background because At the time that richard passed i was living in indianapolis and i'm I'm from indiana so uh there wasn't really a whole lot you could do with it there uh, other than what i had and then i relocated to the phoenix arizona area at the end of 2013 um and you know it pitched the idea and got the crew going on on board with the project and um you know and being closer to la a lot of these people still you know, they still live in the area. So it made it more tangible to reach out and try and get people on board. And then I relocated here and then it definitely became more doable. So as it went along, um, I tried for as many Friday Three people as I could to get on board with this project to share about the um, production and share about the story of Richard Brooker. So I just just kept pushing for more and more and more. And then it's funny because as the interviews would go along. We, you know, I tried lots of people. Unfortunately, you know, you don't hear back from a lot of people. And, you know, just when we thought we were done and we've got as many people as we could reach, then somebody else would, you know, respond a few months later. Oh, yeah, I'm interested. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I kept pushing the project, um, you know, as far as completion, which is fine because I think that everybody that came on board this project. Um, they just had really great stories to share, and a lot of, you know, it was really great in what they had to say because everybody brought something different to the table, and it made it a really complete story in the backstory of part three and the story of Richard Brooker.
0: Yeah, there's definitely some great faces that can be seen. Paul Kraka, perfect person to have in that in that part as the narrator. I thought that was an excellent choice. Larry Zerner, David Kadams, the lovely Tracy Savage, love her character, Dick Ween. I mean, the list goes on. Of course, others that weren't in part three. But you had you had great additions to the original part three cast. And obviously, people don't return emails. Maybe people aren't interested. And I know that that's something that I've heard people mention is, well, why didn't they get this person? Why didn't they get that person? Those, those people are still alive, et cetera, et cetera. And we do have other people like CJ Graham, for example. Obviously, he wasn't in part three. We have uh, Adrian King that can be seen, a couple others that weren't in part three. But I understand that the story, and I'm sure many others do, that the story wasn't just about people who were in part three. It's about people who knew Richard and wanted to share their stories, which, by the way, my favorite was Adrian King's. But uh, I know that it's not easy getting a hold of people. So. But with that said, I know that that was some things that I've mentioned, but I know that you did reach out to a lot of other people, but you just unfortunately couldn't make those connections. Yeah,
1: yeah. And regarding Paul, Paul is fantastic. I, he's a real trooper. You know, he put we put in a long day of doing the voiceover and working with the script because he had done voiceover before, and then we did the intro-outro in front of the gas station that day. Uh, that was the first thing that we did. And then the interviews started in early 2015 and, and went along. And, um, you know, it was just, like I say, as this project went along, I wanted more and more and more for it. There, there were people that I did reach out to uh, that just simply didn't get back to us. Uh, one of the interviewees still had Dana Campbell's contact info and reached out to her. And she was like, well... I have Sean's info. If I'm interested, I'll reach out to him. If I'm not, I'll reach out to you. And she didn't reach out to either of us. So, you know, that's un- that was unfortunate. Um, Steve Miner, you know, we were we would love to have had him, but we were told by his agency point blank he doesn't do interviews. We couldn't find uh, info on Catherine Parks. I talked with Gloria Charles on the phone, and then a month later she passed away. And, you know, I, that was a real shock to hear that. Uh, she seemed like a really tremendous lady and would have loved to have had her, but um, that was, that was something to hear that. I I couldn't believe that. Um, So, and there's others too that, you know, as this went along, like I say, we we tried for everybody that we could think of relevant to part three to come aboard. And at the end of the day, you just, you put the word out there, this is what you're doing and, and you get back who's interested.
0: Yeah, I know you put in a lot of effort to get what you could get, and I just got to say that I think you did a fantastic job with what you had to work with. Everybody came together great, everybody except with uh, maybe there's one person in there that didn't really seem to have any relevant relevant uh, information to share, but that's whatever. It was still nice to to see her on there. I'm not going to mention any names, but other than that, almost everybody brought something to the documentary. And it's unfortunate that others didn't jump on board, which if they've seen it, those who didn't participate, if they haven't, if they have seen it, I'm sure they're thinking to themselves, oh, shit, I I wish I would have jumped on board with that project. But with all those things in mind, I did, as you know, lend a hand and try to reach out as many to as many of my connections and Friday the 13th people that I'm in contact with to try to find screen used items or rare photos or just anything that people might have an interest in seeing. And I tried and tried and tried. And the only thing I could come up with were a couple of the photos that can be seen in the documentary. And as many people know that back then with these types of films, people didn't keep their wardrobe. They didn't give a shit about any of that. The screen used shirts and the screen used items that people now have as collectibles that do bring large amounts of money at auction. I know David Kadams, he was on an episode of the show a while back and we talked about the yellow shirt that he wore in the film that used to be owned by collector Mike Becker and and he remembered uh, that and and turning the shirt over to Mike, which I think is still in his private collection, but I'm I'm not real sure. And just kind of saying the same thing, you know, yeah, we just didn't think anything about that at the time. And it's unfortunate now, but I totally understand how things were just different back then, but I did what I could. I have a lot of connections in the Friday community, and I tried and tried and tried. And that's why there's there's not more pictures and more things because they're just simply not out there. And if they are, I don't know who the hell has them. Yeah,
1: totally. I agree. It was a, it was a tough fight, and I just kept digging and, like I say, wanting more for this as it went along. And it became clear to me, especially once I relocated to the L.A. area, Uh, that I wanted absolutely the most I could find for this documentary, especially when the interviews started coming in. And that included, you know, behind the scenes props, memorabilia, photos, anything new, because I I had known that there was a couple of documentaries before. Uh, His name was Jason, Crystal Lake Memories, and all due respect, those are fantastic documentaries, but I kind of wanted this to be its own unique thing. I didn't want it to be your standard format documentary. Wanted to do something a little extra special above and beyond, um, you know, like with what we, we did some fun stuff with the ending sequence there. And But, you know, it as it went along, you know, like I say, I wanted more and more for it. The, the pictures were a tough find. Every time we had an interviewee, um, you know, I would ask them if they had any behind the scenes, you know, or, or not behind the scenes, but um, anything that they had were able to keep from the film. Um, you know, props, clothing, what have you. And it was very minimal, very minimal. Um, I think that the uh, only interviewee that did have something to bring was Larry Zerner. He got to keep the, uh, the, the fake axe in the head for the the fake death sequence he had in part three he got to keep that and then there uh tracy modeled her she got to keep her uh prop jacket from production crew jacket from friday 13th part three and and a big tip of the hat to her as well i mean she was fantastic in the in her re- interviews and um and then um she had me out the other week uh, about last month sometime to, to speak at her pierce college class she teaches and that was fantastic to share the documentary and talk about it. But uh, yeah, back to the what was offered, there's just very minimal out there. And, and it was just by complete accident that I was able to find a lot of the photos that we were able to uh, feature in the documentary. So that was a happy, happy accident. That was a happy find.
0: Yeah. I mean, I reached out to everybody that i could think of and it was just unfortunate that really only a handful of photos could be found but i guess that's better than nothing and it was relevant and interesting to see in the documentary but it's just unfortunate that that's how things were back then but then again nobody knew that these films were going to have the impact that they did even though Granted, there's a third one at the time, so you would have to be thinking that there's some substance there, but certainly not thinking that it's going to become nearly as iconic as what it ended up becoming later and what it still is today. But it's just great to see someone like yourself that can bring something like this to the fans. And as you know, we're not getting Friday films cranked out like they did in the 80s and Obviously we haven't had one since 2009 and we're still hopefully going to get the 13th installment. So this along with never hike alone has really been a very good breath of fresh air for the Friday fans, especially being released pretty relevant in, uh, in release dates. They came out pretty close to one another. So I, I just think it's been a great breath of fresh air to the Friday community and a lot of other people do too. Well, thanks. Yeah. I- you know, that's
1: really appreciate that. The uh, yeah, I don't think the Friday films they ever expected this for them because I I've, I've seen a few of the, the cast members over the years talking about them and when they made part two they were like, you know, that's a friend of mine, Stu Charno, said well, you're gonna make a sequel to the Friday thirteenth, like a sequel to Friday thirteenth really? Like everybody's like and then as they went along they were making more sequels. They're like, Oh, okay, really? Okay. So yeah, I, I don't think that anybody ever expected that, you know, 30, 30, 40 years later, that people would still be talking about them and still love them. And I think the crowd of the fans is, is bigger than ever, and it and it seems to grow, you know, every year. So yeah, these movies are definitely, um, definitely classic, and uh, they're not going anywhere.
0: <laughs> no, definitely not. And the the beauty about part three obviously that's the first time we see Jason in the hockey mask, which turned him into the horror icon that he is. So of course people in that film, they they had no idea because that really was a pivotal, uh, a pivotal movie in the, uh, in the franchise since obviously that's the first time we see the hockey mask. So, but then again, combine that with, yeah, we just didn't care about things like that back then, but I, uh, like I said, it's just unfortunate because nowadays when they make films, everything goes to auction. You can find, if you're a fan of something, you can find screen used items of it all over the place. So I just wish it was like that back in the 80s, but it is what it is. So either way, I think you did a great job with what you had to work with. And as as we all know, the cabin is no longer with us, but you and I recently had a conversation and you can fill the listeners in because it's, uh, to me, a very interesting location, especially... To see what it looks like today compared to what it looks like in the film, and to hear about where the actual location is. But let's talk a little bit um, about the potential of some of the other filming locations. And we recently spoke about Harold and Edna, so maybe you can fill the listeners in, kind of the state of that as of today, if you will.
1: Sure. Yeah, I got to visit the location for that very recently. It was. Probably two or three months ago, I was shooting for a TV show in the Santa Clarita area, and a friend of mine shared with me the locale, and we were going to go up there, or I was going to go up there after the day wrapped. You know, the sun went down, and it's close to sunset, went up there and visited, and it's just crazy how off the beaten path this location is. Actually, we were going to attempt to do that for the intro-outro scene for Paul Crackett for the documentary, and there was a roadblock that day. So we had to find another location in a hurry, and we made a beeline for the gas station during golden hour, and we did. We luckily made it. Like literally the last outro take, that that's the one we used in the documentary, and the very next take is too dark to use. So we got real lucky with that. As far as Harold and Edna's, there's really nothing there. It's really unfortunate, and I think that a lot of the entries in this series have fared well with time. They they, don't—they're still viable locations, or they're being used. Uh, Campgrounds and campers, you know, still use the locales. Part three is one of the ones that unfortunately has suffered the most damage as far as existence. A lot of the structures are gone. Harold Ned is basically a concrete slab, and you got the, the brick wall facade thing you see where the movie opens with, and you kind of see that brick wall there with the, the sheets flailing in the breeze. There's really nothing else. Um, there was a guy that lived there and we got to talking. He lived there for a number of years, I think at least thirty or forty years, and he was talking about it. And actually that location is considered U.S. forestry property. So if you buy that structure or back when it existed uh, it's not yours it's not your house it's not your garage it's US forestry so he bought it knowing that and he didn't pay his property taxes on it so they evicted him and then a few years went by and I think they just leveled it because it was a it was it, it was kind of a structure that just didn't really have a whole lot of relevance and it still doesn't have a lot of traffic today they probably shut it down because it didn't make any money or do anything there was a uh, also there i found out there was a camp down the road there that used to function as well like literally if you're looking at the structure when it existed it's to the right and there's a dirt road there's a campground there that you know for kids or whatever and that was shut down a number of years ago as well so basically this guy didn't pay his property taxes he got evicted and then they leveled the structure because I I think I had heard it was a biker bar and they must have just, and then they had that adjacent house structure attached in the garages off to the right where Harold and them at Jason. And I think that they just converted that biker bar to maybe a country grocery mart for the film. And then when this guy got evicted, they just, um, so this isn't a lucrative enough location, you know, so just level it. And, and, you know, back in 82, when when Friday 3 was filmed, there was, like, literally nothing out there in the the Santa Clarita, Saugus area. And now it's just nuts. It's crazy with how many people live out there. But even this area still to today is way far away from that. Like, it's way up in this winding, twisting, nowheresville. There's not even cell service up there where they shot this Harold and Edna location. So... It's understandable why they did it, it's just unfortunate, but that's the story I heard.
0: Yeah, it's always interesting to hear about these filming locations, and I, I really didn't know much about that, and it's just, it's it's unfortunate that the location is, is basically just a foundation, and that it's not something that you can visit, but of course, many, many years has passed, as everybody knows, I mean, we're talking many, many, many years, so, and things change over time but it's just kind of interesting to hear that it's literally up in no man's land, no cell phone reception, nothing like that. And obviously places are going to develop and grow over the years. And obviously the California area out there is, is, has boomed like crazy. So either way, I just thought it would be interesting to share that because a lot of people probably have no idea where that was actually filmed and. I never, I never knew exactly where it was before. So when, uh, we were, we were talking about that recently, I, I just found that very interesting. So it's awesome that you had the time to go up there and check it out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, uh, definitely wanting to check it out. I had heard about it. And and if it wasn't for the friend of mine who told me about where it was, like, I would never have known where it was to this day. It's just such an obscure location. Even the gas station, you know, hearing about it from him, it's like that's way up on the other side of that mountain, way up in an obscure location. And unfortunately, it's the gas station and the barn, and everything else in the movie is history, um, you know, with the cabin fire and the leveling of the Harold Nedna's. And and even he had also discovered the uh, location of uh, Vera's house, which on that side of the road, it's like a corporate office building now, like on the other side of the road there's residential houses and it looks pretty much the same, but that's another structure, you know, it's just this, this uh, entry in the series is really, uh, you know, it's it's had definitely an impact with what was used in the film
0: structure wise. Oh, absolutely. But like I said, it's just awesome to see what things look like nowadays and, and ju- just great to see that location. But, Let's let's get back into the, the the meat and potatoes of the documentary, if you will. Let's talk about some of these interviews. And obviously, you couldn't get everybody from part three, and we had some people that didn't respond, and all that business. But it was great to see Harry Manfredini. Obviously, you caught him at a convention, and there's going to be people passing by and noises in the background. Audio can't be perfect, but damn it, you're at a convention and you still got him. We got to see C.J. Graham. It's always great to see C.J. It's always great to hear from other Jasons uh, about other Jasons, I guess, if that makes any sense. So it's always nice to see those guys. Obviously, many of them were pretty close. They got to hang out at conventions over the years and everything, and got to hear from some of uh, Richard's friends uh, across the pond. And I go to a lot of conventions, and I have for years, and I was supposed to go to one of Richard's very last convention appearances And I unfortunately had some things come up and I couldn't make it. And he's one of the people that I've always wished that I could have met, wished I could have listened to some of his stories, have a drink with him, shake the man's hand and just say thank you for your contribution. And and I've just unfortunately never got that opportunity. And watching this documentary has really made me miss having that opportunity because he just sounded like he really was one of the guys who walks in a room and just lights it up, very well-traveled, very charismatic, and lots of stories. And I think my favorite one was with Adrian King. I think that one just sums up the guy that Richard was.
1: Absolutely. Adrian's story was a testament to Richard's character and uh, really appreciate her taking the time to be a part of this. Uh, we had got her interview at the uh, Monster Palooza that was in April 2017, and it just happened to be on the weekend as uh, the fourth anniversary date of Richard's passing. And I saw that Harry was there, and Ari Lehman, and Adrian King, and Kane Hodder. And I went up and talked with Harry and, and shared with him a little bit. And he he had heard or it was mentioned, you know, about you know, is the four years to the date and. He started talking about Richard, and he's like, yeah, I remember that. It's like, oh, man, Richard, no, I remember that last convention we went to was, you know, about a month or so before he passed, and they ended up going to the pub. And he started sharing memories, and I was like, man, these are these are great. And uh, so I said, Harry, would you, would you mind sharing? We'd love to have you. And, and Harry and Adrian were actually original supporters of the project when I first had the idea for it. So it was it was great to to uh, be able to have him be a part of this, and he he was it was getting later in the evening, and we were gonna go to his hotel room and shoot it, but then he was just kind of like, yeah, let's let's just do it right here. So we ended up setting up camera and shooting the interview there, and, and we got Adrian's, and uh, that was a very special story she shared, and and then later that weekend, I, I talked to Kane, and and I'm sure a lot of Friday fans know this that. Richard passed away on Kane Hunter's birthday, and so basically, I went up to Kane at the, the end of the weekend, and you know, I said, "Happy, happy belated birthday, Kane!" And he was kind of like, "Thanks, but uh, really don't uh, like my birthdays too much anymore." And and I could I could sense that was at least a little bit about Richard, and so I kind of took a took a step there and handed him a promo card and I was like, well, Kane, I, you know, this this is what I'm doing and it's a documentary dedicated to part three and to Richard and would, would love to have you be a part of this if you're interested. So he was like looking at the back and he's like, well, you know what? Yeah, let's, let's talk. And so we met after the convention was over that day for a beer and talked for about an hour and he was interested and it was just a, scheduling thing you know we had to start editing it and he's a busy man so I totally understand so but um yeah and you know that's we were we were really driving for at the core of this documentary is like I say I'd mentioned there's there's a few other documentaries been done on the Friday the 13th series and we were always striving for you know new content new stories to be shared um you know and uh I think, I think this documentary did that in a lot of respects. And so, yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like I said, you did a, an amazing job with what you had to work with. And it's unfortunate that schedules didn't line up and people didn't respond, but overall it, it, like I said, it's, it's a great watch. Uh, I love part three, regardless if part three, wasn't one of my favorites in the franchise, you guys still did a great job. And let's talk about you just mentioned you had to get into editing and things of that nature and I had mentioned before that there was obviously a challenge as it would be with any project to oversee and with the vision that you had and 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 all things considered I know there were some challenges and things change over the course of what two to three years that this documentary took to finally hit the screen and people have to understand these things don't just happen overnight changes are made uh people cancel people are added so on and so forth so obviously things get to a point sometime i can imagine where you say we just have to get this out uh it's been enough time we've got this much involved in it and We're not getting responses from people and we just need to get this out there. So with, with all of the challenges in mind and all things considered, do you at all now with the reactions of fans that you've seen and just now that you've had a little bit of time to, to take it all in and, and just step back and look at it, do you wish that you would have waited a little bit to try to get more out of the documentary or what are your thoughts on, on all of that?
1: Um you know I no I I yeah you're exactly right and when you know it's it's done and every you've gotten everything you're going to get you just feel like that that's the case uh standard feature length documentary usually takes 3 to 5 years we were knocking on 3 years when this was starting to be edited together and I just had this you know gut feeling that it's it's not going to be feature length I I already knew that I mean the audio edited together just by itself is like ten or eleven minutes. So the fact that the documentary got up to thirty-eight minutes is a pretty amazing feat in itself. Um, but yeah, you, you just know when a project is is done, uh, and it felt like, like I say, it, it the interviews kept filtering in for a while there. Once we thought we had as many people as we were going to get, then somebody else would say, "Okay, I'm interested," and then we thought we'd be done again, and then somebody else. You know, it was it was delayed responses that, that kept pushing the project. So, yeah, I'm I'm it wasn't it wasn't a uh, I don't think anything else would have materialized. And since we have wrapped on this, I've not heard anything from anybody. So there's that. You know, I reached out to as many people I could have reached out to at least twice. You know, once, maybe they forgot, maybe they just were busy. I tried one more time, then I let it go. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, Steve Miner doesn't do interviews. What are you going to do about that? Um, Dana had the info, and we didn't hear back from her. What can you do about that? So it was just, yeah, we got everybody that we could to, you know, we reached out to everybody we could to, to be a part of this. And absolutely, I would have loved to have had it be a longer documentary but I also wanted the quality to remain intact at the end of the day there's a lot of interview clips that are just fantastic clips we couldn't use because I wrote the narrative and then I asked the questions and came up with the questions according to the narrative and asked those during the interviews and a lot of the interviewees really didn't have anything to offer on that particular part of the narrative so what do you do about that so it you can't use the clips if there's nothing to offer so, yeah, absolutely, I would have loved this to have been a 45-minute to an hour documentary, but it has to flow with the narrative. The quality has to be there. You can't just have more content and then people be like, you know, it's not really entertaining or, you know, what have you. Or, or maybe it's something they've already heard a lot. You know, the other documentaries offered a lot of great information. Like I say, I didn't want this to be, you know, a repeat of what's already been out there. People want new stuff. So that is absolutely the angle I went with this documentary in mind in presenting new stories to be shared and all kinds of new stuff that maybe hasn't been seen before. I think we did use a couple other stories that have been heard before, but we kept those just because they were such great stories. So, and at the end of the day, you know, it it is what it is, and it has become what I think it was always meant to be. There was a period in there when we were making this unfortunately that took up roughly six to eight months when we were trying to find editors to piece this together and we had a number of editors that said yeah they committed to it and you know kind of didn't really get back to us and, and didn't you know decided maybe it was just too much of an effort or too much work or what have you uh, and so we had to find another editor and that took up a lot of time and and I was really lucky to find who I did in Joseph Davis and Brian Gerson cuz they were interested in the in the topic and the subject matter and they wanted to put this together so uh, we worked you know 10, 10 to 12 12 hour shifts in putting this together the three of us and uh, you know it is what it is you know we that's it is how it turned out and that's that's what the memoriam documentary was always supposed to be. So
0: yeah, I can appreciate that and definitely a big shout out to Joe Davis and Brian Gerson on their editing. Great job guys. Uh like I said, everything everything um from what you had to work with, it it really did turn out great. And I do have to put you on the spot a little bit, Sean though. And by that I mean being that some people didn't respond in a perfect world, if you could have added one interview in there, who would it have been? Oh, wow.
1: <laughs> um
0: And it doesn't necessarily have to be somebody from the part three film, just whoever it was that you had on the list or maybe didn't have contact info from, I mean, just in general, if there could have been one person that you could have added to uh, say a few words in the documentary, just, uh, or even, or even two people or three people for that matter, you can make it a top three list. Just name a couple people that if you could in a perfect world, if, if you could have them on and it would not have been a scheduling issue or, or communication issue or whatever they could have been on.
1: Well, I'd have to say, Steve Minor and Dana Kimmel—if they would have been a part of this, uh, that would have been fantastic. You know, Steve, he had already done a Friday the Thirteenth before, and he had been involved with the original. I'm sure he would have had a lot of fun stories to share, being with the production, being the director the whole time. And then Dana Kimmel, in all the work she did with Richard Brooker, especially the final chase sequence and fighting, you know, back against him, you know, is the adversity against Jason, you know, an insurmountable, you know, a a villain, and she beat him. So I'm I'm sure there's a lot of fun stories they could have offered for this, and we would have loved to have had him. So I guess I would have to say those two individuals right there.
0: And I definitely agree. If if I were to pick a few, I would have said, of course, Steve Dana, and then I would have liked to have seen Kane Hodder in there in a perfect world too. But top two choices, yeah, I would have had to have went with them. But it is what it is, and hopefully you get a chance to see it, and who knows what could transpire down the road but uh either way, like I said, I enjoyed pretty much all of them, and i like I said, I think Adrian's was probably my favorite, but before we wrap yeah. this up let's let's talk a little bit about. The end scene. Now I know that you shot that way before some of the other stuff, and of course we see Jason in the snow. And I've I've seen some comments that people have made. There's always going to be some haters and everything, but I think uh, just just to clear the air, you were not trying to make a direct impression or uh, a direct reflection of what you see on screen in part three for Jason, correct?
1: uh no well the part three documentary it's it's in memoriam to part three and Richard brooker it's an homage to richard's portrayal as jason it's like an homage come to life it's not supposed to be a spot on to the t representation of richard's jason it's not supposed to be you know it's, it's not we're not trying to steal his look from part three it's a tip of the hat to the part three version of jason i think the jason that the fiction meets reality bit we did with the uh, cavern culprits where they show up or Jason shows up. And that was just, you know, that was just something fun for the fans. And that's just, I think that Jason most favors part three's Jason, but it's not supposed to be identical. I mean, Richard's Jason is Richard's Jason. This is a fiction meets reality, Jason, with part three's Jason in mind an homage Jason. And then, as the sequence goes on, you know it's in the snow. It's just later in the year when we start the end credits there and introducing Jason in the the winter time, which I always thought was a cool concept that was really never addressed by the studios. It's funny that you know he's been to space and to hell, and he's you've never seen him in the winter time.
0: <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. I mean, people have just made some comments that I'm sure you've seen, and if they're informed that hey, we're not trying to create a screen accurate replica. We're just paying a tribute here. So of course the, the boots might not be correct. The hockey mask might not be a hundred percent correct, you know, whatever the list can go on. And there's always going to be those clowns out there that have something to say like that. But in reality, it's like, I just figured it would be nice to clear the air and you can, you can actually say, Hey, that's not what we were trying to do in the first place. We were just trying to pay a tribute there. We understand that it's not screen accurate or very, you know, clo- as close to screen accurate as possible, like some of these amazing hockey mask artists out there and guys who make all the uh, the the cosplay stuff. So I just thought it would be a good a good time for you to be able to say, hey, that's not what we were trying to accomplish in the first place. So it is what it is with that.
1: Right, and and a
0: little bit of something fun
1: trivia there for the fans too is, you know, I only had one hockey mask at the time that Dan Blunk was using in that sequence in the fiction meets reality bit with the trespassers, that was it. And then i use it again for the, the snow sequence with Snow Jason. Well, what's really cool about that is the, the mask actually is signed on the inside by Richard Brooker. And I always thought that was cool that we're using a, an item here uh, in a, in a um, production dedicated to the man, Richard Brooker, and the uh, the mask is, you know, it's got a piece that's literally signed by him in that production. So, yeah, and it was it was fun. You know, it's it's just it was all in service of the fans for the fans. That's that's what the documentary is all about.
0: Yeah, and that's a that's a good fun fact. And while we're talking about Richard's signature and fun little facts, I just wanted to say thanks again, because if anybody happened to notice in the documentary, there's a a quick shot of three framed Richard Brooker autographed eight by 10s. They're framed in uh, barn siding, and there's a Higgins Haven sign below. It's a pretty quick flash, but most people probably caught it. But that's actually a shot that's out of my personal collection. That's actually on my dining room wall, something I walk by, you know, a hundred times a day. So just uh, another quick thanks for featuring my picture in the documentary. I thought that was pretty cool.
1: My pleasure, Nate. You know, it was a fantastic picture and yeah, very cool.
0: Yeah, man. uh, Just once again, thanks for your time. I definitely appreciate it and just appreciate the breath of fresh air. Again, like I said earlier, a nice breath of fresh air to the franchise. It's definitely appreciated. That coupled along with Never Hike Alone has just really been a, a good addition and really just appreciate and just a huge thanks for the years that you've invested into bringing us something from one of my favorite films. So, like I said, man, just thanks for joining me. It's, 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 you're always welcome here on Return to Camp Blood. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for
1: having me on. And, yeah, it was a blast. It's, You know, I'm I'm really happy that the fans enjoy it. And so thank you very much.
0: Absolutely. And for those of you that have not seen this documentary, I don't know what the hell you've been doing for the last couple months, but go to YouTube. It's on the Friday the 13th Network YouTube channel. You can watch it for free. Just do a quick search on YouTube, uh, Friday the 13th Part 3 documentary. It'll pop right up. Like I said, uh, as of today's recording, it's had nearly 32,000 views, so it's gotten a pretty good response. And if you haven't seen it, you are definitely missing out. So go check it out on YouTube. But that wraps up another episode of Return to Camp Blood, so please rate and review wherever the hell you listen to the show at. And if you haven't seen the Part 3 documentary, like I said, just go to YouTube and check it out for free. And also share it with your fellow Friday fans. You can also check out the film's Facebook page for more information, at Remembering Brooker. This episode was brought to you by the Friday the 13th Part 3 Memoriam Documentary in Remembrance of the Late, Great Sir Richard Brooker. Until next time.